you'll find your copy of God's Word and open it up uh, with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24, we have been looking through the life of this man David and we'll spend a few more weeks looking through his life and as we do that we're seeing the the title of this series is chasing the crown where we're seeing how that in David the people of Israel put all of their hopes and and all of their dreams they they were looking for someone to give them security to give them a a sense of stability to bring a blessing to them and they they looked to a king to do that they they were we're looking to King Saul, and, and he has not uh, done too well so far. And, and now David's in this weird phase to where he's been anointed as king in a, in a private kind of ceremony, uh, for lack of a better term. And he's waiting until he assumes that kingship. And, and we're going to look at something that happened in his life today, and an issue that he dealt with that I think we are all familiar with. I think it's an issue that we've all had to deal with at some point in our lives, David, as we'll see today, is in a situation where things are just not going like he expected that they would go or that he would, th or that he thought they would go. Can I get a witness this morning? Okay. Has there ever been a time in your life when, man, you kind of look around and you go, you know what, this is not going how I thought it would go. I mean, I, I thought I made the right decisions. I thought I was following God's leadership, and it's just, it just doesn't seem that I need to, that I am where I need to be. So here's the big question that's, that we're going to try to answer this morning as we think through this idea in this experience in David's life. What do you do when the path you're on takes you in a direction you didn't think it would go? What do you do when that path moves you to a certain place and you didn't anticipate it taking you there? Now, our temptation when that happens is to take matters into our own hands. Now, that's very dangerous for us to do because nine times out of ten, or if we could do 9.99 times out of ten, when we take matters into our own hands, the results are not that great. <laughs> Will we end up doing something that gets ahead of God or doing something that, that derails the plan of God, whereas if we take matters in our own hands as opposed to waiting upon God? And yet we know that this, this tension exists between where we are and where you think you need to be. What should you be doing in between those times? That's the title of our message today. When you find your yourself in that moment, your task is to hurry up and wait. You ever notice how when you ask God for patience, he'll put you at the red light at Stewart Street and uh, <laughs> Highway 90? And you want to hurry up, but you got to wait. David's life, by the time we get to this chapter in 1 Samuel has been a life of mountaintops and valleys. He was anointed as king. He's on top of the mountain. 
After his anointing, he goes back to the meadow. He goes back to the pasture, and he's kind of forgotten about. And when that happens, he finds himself in the valley. He has a big victory over Goliath that we looked at last week, and he becomes a national hero. He marries the king's daughter. He's up on top of the mountain. But then Saul became very jealous. Saul threw a spear at David to try to kill him. He took his wife and gave his wife to someone else. He trashed his reputation, and he tried to have him assassinated. I'd call that a valley, wouldn't you? And so David is, has been up and down, up and down. And that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 24, which tells us that when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now it gets awkward. Verse 4 tells us that the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall, as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Let me pause right here for just a second. Look at what's happening. God has told David before, David, this is going to be your kingship. You're going to be one day recognized as the king of Israel. I have anointed you as king, and one day I will demonstrate that to everyone. One day, David, I promise you, you're going to have the chance to take out King Saul from his role as king, and you will be the one to take his place. And now, David's soldiers in this context, they say, David, can you believe this? This is the fulfillment of God's promise to you. This stuff doesn't happen by coincidence. In fact, there's a, a, a phrase in verse 4, then David arose. And that phrase indicates a deliberate action on David's part. We know he has a knife because he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. David gets up ready to kill Saul in this moment, but as he approaches, something happens within his heart, and he concludes that such an act would be murder. And David, in essence, says, even if God has put Saul right here in front of me, I can't kill him right now. There's a very valuable lesson for us to learn at this point that's not on your screen or anything else. This is the, the, the bonus features of the DVR for you, okay? The valuable lesson is this. It's very easy for us to confuse our desire and circumstances with the will of God. 
Sometimes we will say, well, I believe, I know this decision is God's will. Well, how do you know that? Well, it makes me happy. Or, well, it feels right. Or, it's, it's, it's just too coincidental. This has to be faith. That's the context of what's happening in David's life. That, that's kind of like us saying, you know what? I want a flat screen TV. I really want that flat screen TV. And we're at work and we get an email from Amazon about a big doorbuster sale and they're going to sell us a flat screen TV, and we get home from work, and there's a credit card application in our mail, Jehovah Jireh, God's provided. <laughs> Amen. To, to draw that conclusion would be a tad bit foolish, wouldn't it? And this is the, this is the, the setup for, for David. David is realizing, David is understanding that his desires and his circumstances, they're not the best guides for him, and they're not the best guides to the will of God for you. Your circumstances, your desires can be deceptive. They can lead you astray. They can make you justify things that are not right. The Word of God is the only reliable guide to the will of God. I'm going to repeat that. The Word of God is the only reliable guide we have to the will of God. Our affections, our desires, our circumstances, we need the Word of God to rule over those passions and to interpret our circumstances. So instead of killing Saul, David cuts off a corner of his robe. Verse 5, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David says, you know what, even if Saul is wrong, he is God's appointed king. And David concludes, it's not my job to take matters into my own hands. My job is to hurry up and wait and to let God. God handled this in his time and in his way. This does not justify the, the, the decision Saul has made. It doesn't justify Saul's character. It doesn't justify Saul's actions. It doesn't mean that you can't protest because David does in a moment and he keeps his distance. David simply refuses to violate God's commands. You see, it is impossible to achieve the purpose of God by breaking the command of God. And if David breaks the command of God, he doesn't accomplish the purpose of God. And so verse 7, now there are some of you who love to write notes in your Bible about the uh, various things, and if you like to write notes about the first time something happens, you get your pen out and get ready, okay? Verse 7, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up. Remember why he went in the cave? To relieve himself. So it's been a while. Uh, Saul rose up and he left the cave and went on his way. Saul finishes, Saul flushes, Saul leaves. The first time in the Bible you have a royal flush. 
because he's a king <laughs> and flesh. That, I don't care who you are, that's good, okay? <laughs> I shared that with my, I tried to prove that with my wife last night, and, and, and she didn't have the same reaction <laughs> that, that a few of you had. She, she gave that look like, are you, what are you doing? Uh, so don't really write that in your Bible because that's not the royal flush you're thinking about. All right, let, let's get back to the text, shall we? Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and, and went out of the cave, and he called after Saul. So David's now speaking to Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. David says, I'm nothing. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you to see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. You see, David has the opportunity to take matters into his own hands or to hurry up and wait on the plan and the will of God. So let's go back to that big question we're trying to answer this morning. What do you do when we're seeing what David did? What then should we do when the path that we are on takes us in a direction we did not think it would go. Two choices, take matters into your own hands or wait upon God. I want you to know this morning that waiting does not mean you do nothing. David is doing all he can within the will of God to change the situation he protects himself by running. He confronts Saul. He pleads his case. But it was only by waiting on God and by pursuing God's purposes in God's way and in God's time that David is able to experience the blessings of God. And I say the same thing applies to you and I. It's only when we wait on God, it's only when we pursue God's purposes in God's way and in God's time that we experience God's blessings. Waiting is one of the most important skills we have as a believer, and it's one of the ones we neglect the most often. So I want us to think for a second about the resources God has given us to wait. And as an example of that, we're going to look at David. In fact, if you want to turn in your Bible, the verses will be on your screen in a few moments, but if you want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 57, Psalm 57 is a psalm that David wrote 
while he's hiding in a cave on the run from Saul. This happened more than once to David, in which Saul pursued him, and he's hiding out in this cave. And in Psalm 57, he makes some statements that lets us know what he was doing while he's waiting on God to step in, while he's waiting on God to intervene, while he's waiting on God to give him the green light. David might have said, this is a yellow light. And you know how some of us do with yellow lights. We treat it like a green light. It's like put the pedal to the metal. Let's get through this, right? And some of us, some of you, I've seen some of you do it with a red light too, but that's another sermon for another time. Uh, David could have seen this as a yellow light and said, you know what, I'm going to go, but, but, but he waits until God gives him the green light. What does he do in the meantime? All right, real quick. First, as you wait on God, trust his sovereignty. As you wait on God, trust his sovereignty. David says this in Psalm 57 too. While he's in that cave hiding on the run from King Saul, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That's the key phrase. The God who fulfills his purpose for me. David understood that he did not have to break the commands of God to get to where God wanted him to go. Look, David does not know how God will fulfill this purpose, but he knows God will. You know what, I think that is something we need to be reminded of in our lives. We may not understand or see how God's going to fulfill his purpose, but we have faith that God will. David's prayer is, is a mixture of this humble pleading, but a quiet trust. He's saying to God, God, I know you can change this. I know you can change this situation to where I'm not running in caves and hiding anymore, but I'm going to trust your sovereignty. I'm going to trust your control. I'm going to trust your plan. As we wait for God to act, let us trust God's sovereignty. Second, as you wait, rest in God's steadfast love. David makes this statement in Psalm 57 verse 3. He, God, will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God will send to me his steadfast love. So as David is in this cave, as he's waiting on God's purpose to take place, as he's waiting on God's plan to unfold, he continues to rest in the steadfast love of God. You see, David is confident of something that we need more confidence about in our lives. David is confident that God's love for him includes God working all things in his life according to a good plan. Let me let you in on something that, that I want you to, to, to meditate on and ponder and apply to your life because as I look at my own life and I look and have conversations with, with people as they seek to follow Jesus, 
Jesus. This is something that I found we oftentimes struggle with. That the gospel message is this. If you belong to Jesus, your condemnation is over. Your condemnation is finished. If you belong to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. For those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore, as you follow Jesus, when you hit bumps in the road, when you find yourself in a cave, when in those moments, that is not God punishing you. God has already punished Jesus for you. There's, 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 there's no punishment. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time, and I've wasted my life, and we might as well close our Bibles because they're not true and go home and not gather together again because it's not worth it. Jesus has taken all that condemnation. So when you find yourself in a cave, granted, it may be because of some dumb decision you've made. It may be a stupid tax you're paying, as, as uh, Dave Ramsey would tell us. Or it may be because of what someone else has done. But God, the only thing God has for you is steadfast love. And we need to rest in that. Because when we rest in that, man, will that take away some guilt? And will that relieve some performance pressure to know that we don't have to do anything for God to love us? He already does. My sin, my condemnation has already been handled by Jesus because I'm in a relationship with him. So I can rest in the steadfast love of God. Third, as you wait, seek God's glory above all else. While you're waiting for God to make his move, seek his glory above all else. Psalm 57, 5, David says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory, God, let your glory be over all the earth. David has prayed for relief, but his ultimate prayer, his primary prayer is for God to be exalted, whether it's in his rescue or whether it is through his pain. This is one of the main differences between King Saul and soon to be King David. Saul thought only of his comfort and his name and his kingdom. David knows it's not about him. David knows it's not about his kingdom. And David is willing to suffer if that suffering exalts God. God's glory is above all else. And finally, <coughs> as you wait, simply remain steadfast. Don't stop waiting until God moves. <coughs> Don't stop waiting upon God until his activity begins. Look at what David said in Psalm 57, verse 7. He said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. This is, this is interesting. Don't miss this. This is the second time David's used the word steadfast. The first time was back in verse 3, God's steadfast love for him. And now David says, I'm going to be steadfast for God. You see, when you understand the steadfast love of God for you. It brings forth from your life 
a desire to be faithful and steadfast for him. David was able to be steadfast toward God because he knew God was steadfast in his love toward him. And that steadfastness leads to satisfaction because I become confident in the goodness of God for me, in the love of God that's shown to me. Let's go back to the big question. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where things aren't exactly like you think they should be? Do you get ahead of God and take matters into your own hands, or do you wait for God to open up doors? Do you wait for God to use His Holy Spirit to give a clear indication to your heart? Do you wait upon God to go before you? I have not been uh, taken too many trips around this globe. I've oftentimes said that there are many of you here who have socks older than I am, and, uh, but, but I know from, from my four decades and a couple of years of, of a rotation around that this earth, I, I've understood and learned this truth. God has been doing this a lot longer than I have, and he does a much better job of it than I do. And when I do it my way, when that way doesn't align with God's way, it never, ever works out. <laughs> but when I wait upon God, when I refuse to take matters in my own hands, when I trust and wait upon Him, God has a way of working that. And listen, some of you need to listen real closely because this is a fine line. And some of you, you're not only approaching the fine line, you're dancing on it. And there's a fine line between holding on to things and taking matters into your own hands and then trusting God. And the differences on each side of those lines, one is a place of blessing and one leads to a place of disaster. We must develop the spiritual habit of waiting upon God. But let me tell you something. <coughs> that you don't need to wait about. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the most important obligation today <clears throat> is for you to see how this part of David's life points us to Jesus. Because when you step back and look at it, when I look at the two main people involved, we've got Saul and we've got David, I see myself in Saul and David reminds me a little bit of Jesus. You see, like Saul, I don't mind making life all about me. In fact, that's my default position, me, myself, and I. And before you say what a big sinner you are, you're in the same boat with me. And if you don't think you're in the same boat with me, you're wrong. <laughs> Our default position is me, myself, and I. I am so much like King Saul in that way. There are times that I don't trust God. There are times that instead of trusting, instead of waiting God, I want to take control of my own life. I, want, I don't want Jesus to take the wheel. There are times I want the wheel. I want the cruise control, the brake, and everything else. I'm like Saul in that way. But thankfully, Jesus does something for me. 
You see, David did not kill Saul even though he had the opportunity to do so and even though Saul deserved it. Jesus did not kill us when he had the right to. He showed us to a greater degree what David showed Saul. He showed us grace. David refused to take a shortcut to the throne. He could have bypassed some struggles had he just killed Saul, but he refused to take a shortcut to the throne by not killing Saul. Jesus rejected Satan's offer to take a shortcut to the throne by not sidestepping the cross when he was tempted in that wilderness. Jesus turned his back to the throne and went to the cross so he could save the Saul that's in me and the Saul that's in you. And when you trust in that kind of king, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you receive the strength to wait on God and to trust him with your life. It all starts <clears throat> with discovering God's purpose for your life like David did. And that starts by receiving Jesus. For you see, just like the people of Israel were searching for that king, were searching for that person, to bring them satisfaction, to searching for that person who would bring to their life stability so you and I are chasing a crown. We're looking for that love that will satisfy our soul. If you've ever looked for it in yourself, you found that it disappoints. And if you've ever looked at it in your spouse, you found that they as far as being a savior, spouses make lousy saviors. They make good spouses, they make lousy saviors. If you sought that satisfaction in a pastor, you've, I guarantee you, if you've been around here more than a day, you've been disappointed. Because there's only one place that we find the love for which our heart longs. And it's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that relationship today? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm going to pray. <coughs> After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. This altar is going to be open for you. If you need to make a decision today to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, and if you've got questions about that, we'd be glad to try to talk with you and walk through that process. If that's a decision you want to make, we would invite you right where you are or in this altar or wherever to simply cry out to God today in prayer. Confess your sin, admitting you're a sinner, and asking this great king to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe in your life there is something for which you need to wait, and you're wanting to take the matter into your own hands. Maybe today your decision is to let God have his hand on that situation. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know that he wants your next step to be taken today, whatever that is, and he'll give you the strength to do it.
Father God, how thankful we are that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God, I pray that in these moments we would place ourselves at your feet. That whatever you're calling us to do, whatever you're placing upon our heart, whatever step it is we need to take, that today would be the day we take that step. Have your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' good name, amen.